0: If you've been around other Christians for any significant amount of time, chances are that you have been at some point or another exposed to legalism. I use the word legalism as describing our bad tendency among Christians to make judgment calls about things that are not necessarily clear in Scripture. You can spot legalism by its bad habit of pronouncing others' non-sinful actions Or choices or opinions as wrong, unacceptable, intolerable, while at the same time you defend your own actions, opinions, thoughts, and choices as right, acceptable, and the standard of good. This is what makes legalism such a tricky thing. You know, none of us think we're legalists in the room, and that's because it's such a tricky thing. The man who furrows his eyebrow at a brother who has beer in the fridge may very well be the same man who is okay with having a glass of wine on an anniversary date with his wife. In that case, legalism declares having the beer in the fridge as wrong and unacceptable and ungodly, but an occasional glass of wine as completely acceptable and totally okay. Adding to the tricky problem of legalism, is not always apparent when we're doing it. In the moment when we're in the middle of shaking our heads at someone else, what someone else is doing, we do not always see ourselves as being a legalist at that moment. At that moment, we feel like we have very solid reasons for condemning someone else's actions and condoning our own. I don't think I have to tell you that legalism is a real problem among Christians and it's led to some sharp divisions among God's people. However, when it comes to things that are not explicitly prohibited in Scripture, we must leave room for Christian freedom. Paul tells us that Christians are not to quarrel over opinions, nor to pass judgment on someone else's non-sinful action. Now, he's not saying don't disagree with one another. There are healthy discussions, right? We're going to disagree. We should disagree. We should debate. We should have healthy conversation, but... That's different from quarreling, bickering, this idea that we want to consume one another to take on our viewpoint, that we're not gonna stop, we're not gonna enjoy friendship or fellowship until they see things our way. There's sometimes we can debate about something, have a healthy conversation, and move on. We disagree, Ah, we're still friends. But what Paul has in mind here is when there's two people, one passing judgment on the other, the other despising the other, and that they are now not able to enjoy Christian friendship. And he says, very simply, don't do that. Not about opinions. Instead, instead, we are to receive others in grace, seek to honor the Lord with our own choices, and remember that each person, ourselves included, We'll stand before the Lord to answer for our own choices, our own opinions, and our own actions. Romans 14, 1 through 12 tells us that it's wrong to judge each other, right? As I've often been told, don't judge other people. Uh, We see it in verse 4. Paul asks, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Now, sometimes passages like this in Romans 14 are used as a defense for why we can never say anything about someone's sin. We cannot say anything about what they're doing. You can't confront me about gossiping. Doesn't scripture say you shouldn't judge another servant? Well, how, to use this text in that kind of way goes beyond its context. Paul is not saying that we cannot expose, cannot confront, cannot challenge the sin of fellow believers. In fact, if he is saying that in this text and he goes against everything he said in other places. In fact it was Paul who wrote in Romans 5:11 that we are to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness but instead expose them. Right? He says that just expose them. He says in 1 Timothy 5:20 that we are to rebuke those who persist in sin. So clearly do not judge does not mean that we should never confront one another, that we should never expose sin, that we should never say hey, Brother, I love you, but I think you're being a bit prideful at this moment. Hey, sister, I love you, but you really need to stop talking about your fellow Christian in that way. In fact, if we're applying scripture rightly, we will have conversations like that, where we lovingly and gently confront one another. So when he says, do not judge, he's not talking about the clear, explicit teaching of scripture of what is sin and what is not sin, so if we look carefully at Romans 14.1, then what we see here is he's got very specific parameters for what we're not to judge. He writes, as for the one who is, in, who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now that word's incredibly important in this text. In context, Paul's going to warn you not to judge someone based on opinions. That's, and I'm going to define opinions here. It is the non-sinful. Okay, the non-sinful preferences or practices that scripture neither explicitly condones. In other words, you can't find a scripture that says, yes, they can do it, and it neither explicitly condemns it. You won't find the text that says they can't. It doesn't explicitly condone or condemn. So that's an opinion. I have a preference or I have a desire or I have things I like or things I like to do that scripture doesn't outright say is wrong or that it's right. So however I fall on that, that's my opinion about things. When it comes to things that are clearly sin, works of darkness, as Ephesians 5 says, we have a responsibility to expose them and to call the person engaging in the sin to repentance. That which God calls darkness, we cannot call light. Don't ask us to. That which God calls evil, we cannot pretend is good. That's Isaiah 5, we can't do that. Things like sexual immorality, when a brother cheats on his wife, when, when a sister has a porn addiction, those things are clearly wrong. Why? Because scripture calls sexual immorality sin. Gossip, hatred, divisiveness, and idolatry are all directly called out in scripture as sin. And so when we see a brother or sister engaging in the, these things, it is our responsibility as fellow Christians who love them to help rescue them out by gently and lovingly calling them out of the sin. Why do we do this? Because it's an act of love. Because we care for their good. James 5.20 says that whoever helps a sinner repent, which means that we're going to have have to have a talk. We're going to have to actually lay, lay it out in Scripture like, here's what you did, here's what God says about it, and here's what you should do about it now. We're going to have to have that talk. And, and if your brother's in sin and you have that talk and he repents, James chapter 5 says that you have saved his soul from death and covered over a multitude of sins. So, having these expositional conversations, having these confrontations in a loving way that exposes the sin of another is a good thing. That said, there are a number of things in Scripture that are not explicitly sins or godliness. There are a number of things in Scripture that Scripture neither says, yes, you can do, no, you can't do. There, these are things more of a matter of conscience, right? These are things just to, if, if your conscience is okay with it or not. The scriptural principle about these kind of gray areas that we have uh, is that as long as you can do it and not sin, and as long as you can do it and not lead others to sin, then you're free to do it. That's a, that's a very simple principle principle, right? Is it going to lead anybody to sin? You or others? And if it is, don't do it because God doesn't want you to sin. But at the end of the day, not all of us sin in the same way, do we? Not not everything brings us into the same sin. We can think of several examples throughout the years that have become topics of debate among Christians. The most famous one we all know is alcohol, right? Beer, alcohol, whiskey, wine, you know, little nightcap, whatever you want to call it. Over the past several decades, we have seen intense debates over that. Now, Nowadays, it's kind of dying away, you know, but there's still people that have staunch opinions, and that's what they are, about drinking or not drinking. But Scripture doesn't outright condone uh, drinking, does it? It doesn't necessarily just say, yes, everybody drink, but it also doesn't condemn it either, does it? I mean, it's true that Jesus drank wine. That's not grape juice. You're crazy if you think it is. Okay, he made wine, he drank wine. His apostles on the day that the spirit fell were accused of being drunk. You can't get drunk off a of grape juice. Some of you might've tried. <laughs> but things like drinking, right? It's not gonna explicitly say Yes, you can, or no, you can't. It's kind of, kind of give you this box, this moral box of don't sin. Whatever you do, don't sin and don't lead others to sin. So if you can't drink without getting drunk, that is a scriptural command. There's your sin. And if you can't drink in a way that's not gonna cause your brother to sin, there's the fireplace. There's the, you can safely burn the fire of alcohol in that. Don't get drunk. Don't cause others to sin. Now, if you can't do that, then don't drink. If you if you cannot approach alcohol without being tempted to lose your mind in it, don't do it because that's sin. Scripture says not to get drunk. Another debate, these are these are kind of funny as you read through them like in quick succession. Another debate, should Christians go dancing? Should Christians watch Disney movies? Should Christians go to the movie theaters? Should Christians get tattoos? And there's far more people in this church that have tattoos. I've seen them. You just don't. Our fire pits get a little honest sometimes. But, but there, there are people that get tattoos and they, they cover it up because they don't know how people are going to think about it. Which, okay, if you cover it up, that's fine. But still, that's been a debate, isn't it? Can Christians get tattoos or not? In the childhood church I grew up in, people debated whether it was appropriate for Christians to listen to country music. So Randy Travis was out. He's not on the Oasis Network, so get him out, right? What about Christian rock? Christian rock, adjective, Christian rock. Petra, them Satan boys. <laughs> I remember the day when uh, the church leaders of our of the my childhood church began circulating out books that denounced Christian rock. Like this, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Well, what's the air? Well, that's the music, and this is his way of easing his way. Next thing you know, all of us that listen to Petra, man, we were going to hell. There are also debates about whether Christians should send their kids to public school or whether homeschooling their kids was the godlier choice. More recently, Christians have debated over pandemic protocols. Whether it's a godlier thing to wear a mask or not wear a mask. Is it okay for you to vaccinate your kids or for you to take, God forbid, the COVID vaccine? Don't say which one you're for. Politics? Economics? I'm sure we can throw on that a whole host of other questions, right? The sad truth is is that if you were to look, and just be honest, at what has divided Christians the most just over the last several decades, let alone the last century, they're mostly matters of opinions, We don't have these big doctrinal fights at the moment. There's sometimes, there's been some instances in the last few decades that people have split up over true gospel issues. But for the most part, the things that have driven people apart are are things like what kind of music to sing in church, or whether or not the the preacher said they were allowed to drink, or whether or not they wore a t-shirt or a polo on Sundays. You know, it's issues that are matters of opinion that aren't explicitly condoned or condemned in Scripture. More often than that, that's what's going to separate us, is matters of opinion, you and I will probably agree, if you're in this church, you've been in this church for a while, you and I will probably agree that God made the world, that man sinned, that Jesus died for our sin, and that he rose again. We're probably going to agree on that. But we may not agree about drinking. We may not agree about cigars. We may not agree about tattoos. We not, may not agree with what's the appropriate dress on Sundays. But those are the things that we're at most danger about splitting up about. The reality is that we have to to put unity in the gospel before anything else. We don't have to be unified in our opinions about things. I I don't know if anybody's ever told you that. Not everybody has to agree with the way you think about everything in order for you to enjoy Christian fellowship with them. They just don't. They do have to agree in the gospel in order for it to be a Christian fellowship. I mean, we're not just talking about unity. We're talking about unity on the truth. There are certain times, I'm not going not to water this down, there are times to separate ourselves from others, particularly when they teach a different gospel or deny the clear teaching of scripture. We cannot have Christian fellowship with someone who denies the divinity of the Son, or the fact that his death is the only means of our atonement. We can have fellowship with someone that has a different eschatological view of our, uh, from us. Maybe they don't see Jesus coming back in the same way that you do, in the same timeline that you do. Maybe they're all mill, or maybe you're pre-mill, and you guys have different views. We can fellowship together over that because we agree on the gospel truth that Jesus is coming back. We just don't agree about when or how. But you see, what's gonna split up people is whether or not they are both pre-mill or all-mill. What tends to not split them up is the return issue. You see, we've gotten it upside down. We can agree to disagree about all-mill and pre-mill. Guys, I've been in school for a long time. I've read them both. They both have their problems and they both have really great points. I don't know. When's Jesus coming back? I don't know. How? I have no clue. Is it going to be secret or public? I don't know. All I know this is that when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back, and it's going to be a real comeback, right? He's going to set up his kingdom on earth. That's the gospel issue. If somebody doesn't believe that Jesus is coming back, now we have problems. But when and how and what doctrinal system they use, we can, we can figure that out. We can, we can work past that. Gospel teaching and sound doctrine of Scripture are one thing, but opinions are another, and we have to be humble enough to place sound doctrine and gospel teaching in one camp and our opinions in another. That's a matter of wisdom. It's a matter of humility. It's a matter of pride to loop all those together into the same boat, that my opinions and gospel doctrines are equally the same, and therefore you must agree that's a very prideful thing to do. And it's something that God will judge people for doing. Paul says, he makes it clear that when it comes to matters of opinion, those are not times to divide or fight with others. Matters of opinion just aren't worth it for that. Gospel is not this, not opinions. In saying this, Paul makes it clear that there are some things that we are not gonna see eye to eye about. If Paul were here, Paul may not agree with you on several key issues. He was living in the Roman government time. Never even heard of a democracy. He might disagree with you about your political system. But he's Paul. He believes in Jesus. He's proclaiming Christ crucified and resurrected. I think we can have... Unity with Paul, because of that. When these things can be properly labeled as an opinion, again, something that scripture doesn't explicitly prohibit or permit, then we're not to fight about it. We can discuss it. We have conversation, we have coffee, but if those things lead to fighting and division, then we're in sin at that moment. At that moment, it's less about what we believe to be true and more about how we're communicating it to others and how we're dividing from others. That's the irony about it. Is a lot of us have staunchly defended positions of opinion, thinking that we're holding out on, on the gospel truth and that we're digging up. And it's like, and the reality is, no, if it's not truly the gospel truth, you may be dividing from Christians. You may be doing what Paul said, not to bite and devour one another. That's the, that's the ironic danger. And as if my opinion gets elevated up to a gospel truth, I may be the guilty pro- party. I may be the weaker brother. That's actually damaging Christian fellowship, not helping it. When it comes to opinions, we can talk, we can discuss, but then we're simply move on in loving fellowship. If we can't see eye to eye, we still move on. We still grow close. We still become transparent. Paul tells us to welcome the one who is weak in faith. Now, who does he have in mind here? If we scan the corpus of Paul's writings, then there are a few characteristics that are true of those who are weaker in the faith. If you go to, you see it first in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, not first, but you see it in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, where in 1 Corinthians 8, we find this weaker brother who's worried about external things impacting their spiritual health or their standing before the Lord. He uses the example of food. In those days, Christians were debating whether or not they were free to eat food that had been offered to idols. Um, it's, and it wasn't an easy debate. You know, back then, I hope you know that you didn't get your meat from Walmart, right? It's pre-packaged, right? And you can get virtually any kind of meat you want, right? You can get um, uh, organic, grass-fed cow meat, right? You can get some kind of meat that's mixed with some other toxic sludge. You can get meat that's not meat, You just go to Burger King and get your incredible, what's it called? Impossible Burger. And it'll confirm for you, it's an impossible thing to replicate meat. (laughs) But we have every choice that we could ever want, right? Walmart is good for Muslims and Jews who want halal or kosher meat. But it's also good for those of us that don't care whether or not we eat bacon and fat. Back then it wasn't so simple. You you got your meat. You, you got got your meat by going to the market. Well, in the Roman world, most of the meat had been killed by a pagan priest deliberately to as a sacrifice to worship another god. So the idea was if this animal was killed as a sacrifice, then it's going to defile us if we eat it. Well, already Jesus said it's not what a man puts into his body that defiles him, right? We know that from the gospels. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles him. So Jesus already pronounced food clean. So the, the position that if we eat this meat sacrifice to idols, then we're gonna be unclean. Paul says, that's not true. You, can't, you cannot be defiled in that way. So, so you don't have to, if you don't want to, you don't have to track down every steak, every rack of ribs, every tenderloin, and find out where it came from and how it was prepared. Some Christians believe that if they ate that meat at all, whether intentionally or unintentionally, if it was sacrificed, then they defiled themselves. So they said, we're not eating meat. It's too hard to track it all down. We're becoming vegetarians. Can't even say the word vegan well, but um, we're becoming vegetarians. So we're just going to eat veggies, not meat. Because, and it's not because they have some, we're going to kill the animal kind of thing. It's, it's more of just, they didn't want to unintentionally defile themselves. It's easier to stay away from it. I would have had a hard time living in the Roman church. I would have sinned and sinned boldly. I would have eaten the steak right there in front of everybody. Paul refers to these Christians, and I'll tell you why that would be wrong here in a minute. Paul refers to these Christians as the weaker person because they have not quite gotten the message. As he says in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8, That food will not commend us to God. What a very simple message. What you eat or choose to eat, whether you eat meat or whether you eat something as pagan as an impossible burger, you cannot commend yourself to God. He says, we are no worse off if we do not eat, and we're no better off if we do. That's in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 8, 9. So quite frankly, it doesn't doesn't matter whether a person eats meat or not. Paul says, no, it doesn't matter. Neither eating meat nor abstaining from meat will defile or commend a person to the Lord. This principle applies to most things that tend to divide us as Christians, doesn't it? Things like drinking alcohol. There's some of us that think that we could drink alcohol. There's others of us that think if we even touch a bottle, it might defile us. Drinking alcohol, abstaining from alcohol, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, getting vaccines, not getting vaccines. None of these things, can I tell you, wherever you fall on these hot topic issues, wherever you fall will not commend you or condemn you before the Lord. They just can't. You got the COVID vaccine, you're no better off because you did. You didn't get the COVID vaccine, you're no better off because you didn't. Because vaccines don't commend you to the Lord. Whether you drink alcohol on a Friday night as a nightcap or whether you have never touched alcohol in your life, those things don't condemn, condemn you or commend you to the Lord. You realize that, right? They just, they just don't. It's just, is just simple. What's well, the only thing that can commend you to God? Faith in Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be gospel-centered people, that it's not anything else. It's only faith in Jesus that can commend us. So whatever opinion I choose to have... Whatever football team I have, the opinion is right. Whatever, whatever side of the alcohol debate I fall on, whether I got a tattoo or not, these things cannot keep me from the Lord or commend me to God because it's faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Now be careful when you let these opinions rank up so high as gospel doctrines because you might just find yourself preaching a gospel contrary to scripture. If it's true that we're commended to God because we believe in Jesus, because we don't have tattoos, because we don't have beer in the fridge, because I wear a button-down on Sundays, and because I like Ronald Reagan, we're in some bad trouble, right? That's not gospel. That's not gospel. That immediately stops being the gospel with the first one I mentioned. If it's Jesus plus anything, it's not the gospel, the only thing that can commend you to God is faith. Well, the weaker person has not come to fully uh, believe that aspect of the gospel. Now, it's not that, what Paul's not saying is that the weaker person doesn't believe the gospel. He, just, he hasn't grown up into a fully sense of his full sense of full freedom. Now, I just want you to know take the alcohol, that's the easiest one. The alcohol issue. If you drink, then you've got to obey the Lord, right? Don't get drunk. That's what scripture says. Don't use as a stumbling block to others. If you don't drink, to, to, to get to a point where you realize that you're free to drink still doesn't mean that you should, right? It's okay that you don't drink alcohol, but the, the most mature person in the room isn't the one with the wine bottle. That's not, that's not what Paul's saying here. He's simply saying that maturity in the gospel is realizing that partaking or not partaking has nothing to do with your status in God. Right? So I know a lot of very immature drinkers that drink because they think it's an expression of their Christian freedom. Paul says, it doesn't matter if you do. it's not You're not par- parading your freedom any better. And then he's talking to the abstainers, the ones that never drink, the teetotallers, and saying, look, you're no better off because you've never touched it. That's, that's his simple point. So Paul's not saying mature Christian free people drink and those who don't aren't fully free that's not the weaker the weaker brother it doesn't have anything to do with the opinion it has to do with why they have that opinion does that make sense two people may be equally mature and have a very different opinion you get a man in the room that's mature man of god and he drinks wine a man, mature man of god and he doesn't they may be equally mature and have two different opinions that neither one of them are the weaker brother in that case the weaker brother is the one that has come to his conclusion because of a status issue with the Lord. Thinking that he can better, be better off. I'm a better Christian because I don't have tattoos. Those of you that have secret tattoos are not as good as me because I'm going to be committed to the Lord because I have no tattoos. That's where Paul says that's a weaker brother issue. That's a weaker brother mindset. The weaker brother may know that drinking alcohol or getting a tattoo can have no real, they'll tell you it has no real impact on on eternal life. But still, they have a hard time looking past the wine bottle, looking past the, the beer in their brother's fridge. They're not necessarily worried about falling into alcoholism. They just think that drinking is not the godliest thing to do. Again, Paul would say it has nothing to do with godliness. It has nothing to do with commendation before the Lord. But still, the weaker brother is distracted by these things. As Paul would put it, it's a stumbling block to them. That's how he puts it in Adam's text he's gonna preach on next week. Uh, It's a stumbling block to them. The weaker brother or sister doesn't have a mature understanding of our freedom in Christ and may at times put limits or burdens or standards of godliness on people that do not exist in scripture. Right, so... When I start telling people how they need to, to uh, drink or how they need to uh, think about certain things that are not clear in scripture, I may be putting on burdens on the people that scripture has never put to them. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's not make the yoke heavier by attaching our opinions to it, right? So, so the weaker brother has this struggle with this thing thinks it's gonna defile them if they touch it or do it or whatever. Still, I think we can all say that Scripture says, I have a right to drink. And yet, Scripture would say, you do, but you don't. You have freedom to have one opinion or the other. However, you are to live in such a way that is the most loving thing to do for your weaker brother. You do have rights. You do have freedoms, but those freedoms should never, ever lead to bickering and fighting and dividing from the weaker brother. Paul tells us both in 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14 that though our conscience is free and we have the right to participate in non-sinful things and non-sinful ways like eating meat, we should not cling to our freedom at the expense of our brother or sister's faith. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says that though he is free to eat meat, he is not free to wound his brother's conscience. You may be free to have a glass of wine. You are not free to have a glass of wine in front of everybody. Very simple point there, right? Paul goes on to say, if food makes my brother, and you can put in there whatever, if, if uh, wine, if having beer in the fridge or whatever, makes my brother stumble, may I never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. What's the priority there? Not your right, not what you're free to do, but your brother and his faith and his strength and his ability to continue in the Lord. We do not need believers. I said it once, I'll say it again. We do not need believers to agree with every one of our tertiary viewpoints in order to enjoy fellowship with him. In fact, the church is a bunch of people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds, positions and different opinions coming together under the single bond of faith in Jesus Christ. If we were to have a question and answer about basic opinions, you'd be surprised that if we played the old game where if you agree, go to this side. If you disagree, go to the left side. We could say, those of you that agree that drinking's okay, go to this side. Those of you that agree drinking's wrong, go to this side. Well, the very next question I ask, those of you that think it's okay to get vaccines, go to this side. The, those of you that think it's not okay, you'd see people darting all across the room. People change. People change their opinions. People have differing opinions. Those things don't unite us. Changing opinions, differing opinions do not bring us together. Having the same opinions do not bring us together. It's having the same opinion about Jesus, which is that he's the one and only savior of the world and that we must trust in him to be saved. Now, while we know that we should be willing to lay down our rights for our weaker brothers and sisters, it's incredibly difficult to do in practice, isn't it? I mean, it's very hard. I mean, the, I, I can tell you, as someone who loves my Christian freedom, it is very difficult to submit to the weaker brother. Very hard. Part of me wants to be like, oh, wait a second. Going the scripture, I'm the older brother. You should be following along with me. And yet scripture goes, no, 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 no. You submit to the weaker brother because it's not worth battling over the opinion, not worth quarreling. So I'm gonna offer two things that this text gives us for how to live with people of different opinions. Number one, don't look sideways at your brothers and sisters. Don't look sideways at your brothers and sisters, but look up to your Lord. First, don't look sideways. In other words, don't bother yourself about the non-sinful things other people do. Um, <clears throat> when I first got here, before people knew my opinion about alcohol or anything like that, when I, I came into uh, Snuffers, when Snuffers was there, right? There's an unnamed group of people drinking margaritas. Oh, when it, I loved it. <laughs> I walk in and it's like they're willing to like throw it under the table. They're like just sitting there. I sat there at the door waiting to be seated and I saw them and there's these margaritas and then they saw me and they're like, (laughs) whoo! it was the best. Now, I think some of us, we get it wrong when we begin looking sideways. Did you see what they ordered? Did you see what they had on their table? That's sideways looking, right? You know, I saw... Uh, I saw a deacon bend over to fix the plumbing the other day and I noticed they had a tattoo on his lower back. That's looking sideways at people and that's disturbing that you do that. Don't look sideways. (laughs) Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Paul talks about these differences of opinion. If we keep looking sideways, we're we're never gonna agree. We're never gonna agree in the Lord. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. That means regardless of the opinion, They've been received by the Lord. It doesn't matter what you think about their choices and actions. their non-sinful choices or actions. You see, in this text, we have two Christians have two different opinions. One thinks he's free to eat anything, anything. The other one thinks that he's only free to eat vegetables. These two people are not gonna see eye to eye. But we've seen how this works, isn't it? You get one guy going, look at that man. He thinks he's so special because he eats veggies only curse him, his leanness, and his (laughs) six-pack, right? And then you get on the other side where the one that doesn't eat meat goes, look at that guy. I bet he doesn't even know whether that's got additives in it or not. (laughs) Didn't see the organic sticker when they brought it out. We see how that works, right? You've got one that's despising the other with their freedom and the other one that's passing judgment on the other because of their freedom. Paul says, like, that's ignorant. Don't do that. Don't look sideways. Paul says that we must not despise or pass judgment on those who do not share our opinion. Instead, we are to remember that the person who has a different opinion than us does not answer to you. You walk into lunch today and you see some fellow Christians that were here singing with you, drinking margaritas, guess what? They don't answer to you in your opinion. Who are you To pass judgment on the servant of another. It is before his own master that he stands or falls. When it comes to matters of opinion, it's not for us to condemn others. We're not their master, right? They're gonna stand before another master. So so if we're busy looking sideways, we're never we're we're always gonna see the disagreements, we're always gonna see the differing opinions, but we're never gonna see Jesus. We're never going to see the gospel that's brought us together. Now, if we're always talking about the person who eats meat or the person who abstains, the person who drinks beer or the person who refuses, the person who hands out trick-or-treat candy or the one that doesn't celebrate Halloween at all, the one that listens to rock music, Christian or otherwise, the one that listens to classical music, if we're always looking at that, then all we see is all these differences of opinion. And we never see the gospel that's brought us together. My friends, this is really important for you to hear. When you hear about someone who doesn't see things your way, if they believe in Jesus Christ, this is true of them, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of you make choices that leave me scratching my head. Why do you do that? have no clue in the world why somebody would want to go to a Broadway musical over going to the mountains where there's bears. (laughs) Like, what is wrong with those people, right? (laughs) The fact of the matter is, regardless of what they want to do or what their opinion is to do, the fact that I like the mountains, the fact that they like Broadway shows, neither one of us are condemned in Christ because we believe in Jesus as our Savior. They don't answer to me. They answer to another master. And because they answer to a master that they have faith in, there is no now condemnation. This is what Paul means when he says, and he will be upheld. He goes on to say, they will stand or fall before another master, but we know they will stand. Why? Because the Lord is able to make him stand. There's gonna be a lot of vaccinated people in heaven and a lot of non-vaccinated people in heaven. And neither one of them will fall before the Lord if they believe in Jesus Christ. There's only one thing that makes you fall before the Lord and that's a rejection of him and a disbelief in his son. Everything else, you will stand regardless of what your opinion is. Regardless of which side of the fence you fall on. Because it's not about their opinion, it's about the one who holds them up. Opinions will not make you stand or fall. Only faith in Jesus or the lack of faith in Jesus does that. So don't look sideways, but look up. Remember that you have a king. Paul says, one person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who, do, who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. In each of these hypotheticals, the people are doing different things, right? Very different things. One is eating, one is abstaining. One is observing a feastal day, and another is implicitly not. However, they have one thing in common, don't they? Whatever they do, they do it in honor of the Lord and in thanks. They all, the one that's eating is eating in honor of the Lord. The one that's abstaining is abstaining in honor of the Lord. The one that's celebrating the feast is doing so in honor of the Lord. The one that's not is doing so in honor of the Lord. You see, Paul reminds us that it's not just what we do that matters but for whom we do it. If you are not gonna drink, drink in honor, don't drink in honor of the Lord. If you are gonna drink, You better drink in honor of the Lord, which means not sinning against him. That motivation needs to be the same across. It reminds us of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the Glory. glory of God. Paul wants you to get beyond the action and the opinion and he wants you to evaluate your motivations. We must face the fact that even our best act, and in our best actions, we have competing motivations. On the one hand, sometimes we do things out of a sense of elitism, don't we? Because we want to be better than other people. As if what we're doing somehow demonstrates how much better off we are, how much more important we are, smarter or godlier or whatever. Um, I, I go to a lot of church potlucks and so... I see this a lot. Something as simple as not eating dessert at a fellowship has been passed off many of times of like, oh, I don't eat sugar. Don't you know that the body is the temple of the Lord? Like, didn't we see you in the Taco Bell drive through the other day? I could swear that was your car. So they pass off this, I don't, in front of others, I don't do this because... I treat my body as a temple, and yet if the heart's motivations were laid bare, the true underlying desire is to look overly spiritual and to draw undue attention to the body. Right? Isn't that kind of sinister in the way we think? Isn't that just wicked of us that we do that? That in the moment of us speaking overly sp- I've never touched a drink of alcohol before. Okay, whatever. Are you bringing yourself attention are you making yourself elite? We can do that with all kinds of things. Matthew 6 says that we do it in the way that we fast. It also says that we can do it in the way that we pray. When we pray like the hypocrites do on the street corner, loud and long. Or we fast, and what do we do? Oh, we look so weak. Look at how hungry Did you hear my stomach growl? I mean, we draw attention to ourselves. That, that motivation to be elite and over someone. So that's one motivation that competes with it. The second competing motivation is the fear of man. Fear of man happens when people's opinions of us become more relevant than what God thinks about us. As an example, I've seen this before when a man who would normally avoid drinking because he doesn't like the taste of alcohol, because he just doesn't like it, or he feels peer pressured into drinking it, and does it because he wants, I've seen it, let's not even say alcohol, I've seen it with some of you that drink coffee around me. Some of you think I'm a coffee top. I have creamer in my coffee when I want to. The other day I was drinking coffee with someone, and they, then the waitress brought creamer to the table and he's like, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't do creamer. It's like, brother, I know you do. Like this fear of man issue where we change our opinions based on what somebody else is gonna think. That's a goofy example, but we do that all the time, don't we? We get around people, we find out what their opinions are, and then we change ours. We're chameleons in that sense. We will blend into whatever background we have And Paul says, actually, don't do that either. That's bad too. That's a fear of man. Instead, he says, it's better for you to be fully convinced in your own mind. That's verse five. You don't think drinking's good for you. You don't like the taste of it. You don't wanna drink because you don't want it in your house. Be fully convinced in your mind. Don't do it. That's a logical reason for you. Not for everybody, but for you. Be fully convinced. And then when you get around brothers that drink, don't change your opinion just for them. Hold on to it. In fact, if you are convinced that your opinion is right, you should humbly hold to it and be gracious about it until someone is able to convince you with a better logic. I have changed my views many times over the years about lesser non-sinful things. Tattoos are not as big of a deal as they were when I was a kid. I used to think they were like the mark of the devil. I was raised to believe that. That anyone that did that, boy, you know, what... I just always wondered what are a resurrected body is going to look like without tattoo. Like, is, it gonna, is God going to be like, "Here, we're going to remove these marks, and here's your scar to remind everybody they had a permanent mark on your body." I always remo- was wonder, wondering, like, what's the big deal with that? But when I was taught, when I was raised, it's like that was a huge deal. Now I'm like, uh eh, I think you, if you're going to get a tattoo, you better be really careful because it might be tomorrow's mistake and regret. So, just, just I'm I'm lessened up on it a lot. Why? Because I had people with better logic come to me and go, okay, really now, let's talk about this. And I listened. You have to have humility. You see, it's it's the pride issue when we begin to think that my opinion is the most important opinion in the room and it's right and everybody else is wrong. Do you know how many people we alienate from us in that way? Do you know how many false gospels we preach in that way? My friends, it's better for you to have a good logic a good reason, right? My kids don't have a video game system. It's my opinion that for my house, it's not a good idea right now at this moment for my nine and six year old to be playing video games. Do I think that's true for everybody? No, I don't. But I have a logic right now in my house that I want my kids to learn how to read. Knowing my kids, knowing my family, I have goals for them. I love them. I know them individually. If they were diff- somebody else's kids, it's a totally different ball game, isn't it? So I'm bringing my logic to it now. Now, I say that. I have a football game on my phone that I let Timothy play on Friday night. I let him play a video game. As much as I'd like to say, video games aren't allowed in our house, I bend sometimes, don't I? Because the opinion at the end of the day doesn't matter. It's the logic, it's the rationale. It's a wild rabbit track. I don't have any idea where we're going with that. (laughs) Either way, Paul says there's three basic motivations. There's honoring God, there's fear of man, and there's elitism. The only appropriate motivation that you should have in doing what you do or having the opinions you have is honoring God, that's it. Do what you do because you wanna honor the Lord with it. At the end of the day, it's because of the Lord and who's his, for for none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself, for if we live, we live to the Lord, if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's, my friends, we are the blood-bought, purchased people of God. You are not your own, you are bought with a price. Paul points our eyes to the gospel. Instead of worrying about what everybody else has done, we're to glue our eyes to the gospel of Jesus who died for us and who rose again so that we could become his. Now, everything we do, we do in that knowledge that we have been saved by God, that we have received the grace of God through his death and resurrection. He died and lived again, not so you could be Lord over everybody else, but so that he could be Lord of the dead and the living. He didn't die to make you king, he died and rose again so that he's king of everybody. I think this is a humbling thought here. If you don't know it, at the end of time, people will not bow to your opinions. People will not bow to your way of doing things. Paul says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you, or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. How humbling it is what he says next. I wish he would say, you know, and everybody will finally agree that Justin was right all along. (laughs) Oh boy, how nice that would be. He doesn't say that. Not every knee is going to bow to Justin's opinion. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to God and ultimately give an account to him, the creator and the redeemer of the universe. So what do we do in the meantime? Knowing that's true. Well, you love others sincerely. Welcome the weaker brothers. Don't fight about opinions. Don't get so worked up about vaccines and masks and dancing and alcohol and all these lesser opinions. Instead, honor God with what you do. Nobody else will answer to you, but you will answer to the Lord. Live as gospel-centered people who know that we are the blood-bought people of God who belong to God in life and death. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for our freedom, Father. We thank you that our opinions and where we fall in opinions don't condemn us or commend us to you, but only Jesus does. God, we thank you for being set free in Jesus. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.